This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 230, Steve Woods on Mobile Hypnosis. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. You know, so it's a funny thing that happens because I get to have some really great people on this podcast series talking about, you know, the great work that they're doing out there as hypnotists, people who I brand them truly are workers, that they're out there actually doing the work, getting great results. And also at times, a few of them are these people like me that are also out there teaching the actual process. And then again, there also come these moments where I'm talking to people and I listen and I go, that's a good idea, which uh, by reference to this here, I had uh, Michael DeShallet on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about becoming a virtual hypnotist. And of course, hearing that dialogue as soon as I dropped the money to buy my current office. And then, of course, here comes Steve Woods on the program here today, straight out of the UK. And Steve talking about how he had the office and got rid of the office and now goes directly to their homes, their offices, their businesses, and very much the systems in terms of how he makes that work. So it's an amazing thing to actually have the dialogue that... To use the classic quote here, learn from people who disagree with each other, or let's now make it more positive, uh, learn from people who do things differently. Because even I'm not beyond going off and doing that remote session with someone who perhaps, for whatever reason, can't come to my office, or perhaps connecting them with those people who can. So let's officially start to talk about this week's session with Steve Woods talking about mobile hypnosis, though even if it's not your interest to go off and do hypnotism in people's homes, you're going to hear the real mindset of a worker of someone who's out there really building that great goodwill about our profession, helping a bunch of people, building mostly a word-of-mouth, referral-based style of business, and then some incredible insights towards the website design of the modern professional, as well as the real value of network marketing, a thing that uh, Steve and I rather bond over in this conversation, talking about getting out there, getting found, and really also helping to professionally represent what it is that we do as hypnotists, while, of course, along the way, helping a whole bunch of people and running a rather thriving, successful business. So listen to this excellent conversation with Steve Woods, definitely someone to get in contact with as he's got some really cool thoughts and some really cool ways of going about the work. For even more on growing your own hypnosis business that thrives and succeeds in the growing economy, check out hypnoticbusinesssystems.com. This is where you can now get the all-access pass to my entire hypnosis business training library. Everything from the ground up, whether it is office space, if you don't want to go to people's homes, <laughs> getting into pricing structure, getting into a new module that we call the Velvet Rope Strategy, how to make sure you're only spending your time having that conversation with people who are ready and motivated to actually work with you. As well from there, getting into some advanced passive income strategies. And again, the all access pass is now available over at hypnoticbusinesssystems.com. And with that, let's jump directly into this outstanding conversation. Here we go. Episode number 230, Steve Woods on mobile hypnosis. It was, um, it's got to be over 30 years ago. I ought to try and work it out, really. But, um, but yeah, over, certainly over 30 years ago, I was in retail sales. I was working for a, an electrical retailer. And we had a, we went to see a stage show. We saw a stage hypnotist show in, uh, in Doncaster. And we came away 
impressed. We came away thinking there must be something we can do with this to do with handling rejection and motivation. I think at the time <laughs> he was selling tapes back then. Um, we bought some tapes. We didn't buy them from the same person. Otherwise, I'd probably remember who it was. Uh, we found them somewhere else, bought some self-hypnosis tapes for yeah, motivation, handling sales rejection, which was, uh, which was the big thing. Um, and I didn't think anything much had happened with me at first. Uh, and for a while I told people that. And then I realized that things had happened as I was listening to them. But more, more importantly, I saw it with other people. And that sold it to me, really, at that point. I bought a few books, a couple of three books. And I, again, I couldn't tell you what they were. I remember at one point having the, the Orman McGill uh, Encyclopedia of Stage Hypnosis. But I don't think it was as far back as then. And I just learned little bits and played around for, for quite a long time just sticking people to the chairs and drinks to the bars <laughs> and those sort of things, doing a little bit of therapeutic stuff as well that I'd learnt from the books. And then, well, 14 and a half years ago now, uh, one Friday morning I decided for some reason, and I, and I don't really know why, I just decided I was going to do this properly as such, went online and luckily dropped on a, a decent course. Um, and by Sunday I was speaking with uh, with John Chase, who I know he's mentioned many a time. Oh, nice. yeah. um, and I was, uh, a few weeks later, I was uh, I was down in Devon, I think it was somewhere, doing a, a week-long uh, residential course and then did some other stuff with him, helped him out on a, on, on, when he was doing his little um, sort of days of introduction. I'd, if they were near me, I'd go and help out with those. And that, that was the start then of things. Yeah, I love that aspect that, again, we surprisingly, we still have a bit of that us versus them mindset of the hypnotherapist to the stage hypnotist. But again, your stories, like many others that have been on here, that it's that first entry point into it, that they first discover it. And I love that you made that correlation to go, I bet we can use something of that nature in terms of our business. It's, it might have been the guy selling self-hypnosis tapes at the time. I do seem to remember he was selling some stuff that may well have sold that. But but yeah, it was yeah, it was, I, I was fascinated with that with the mindset change, and it, and it was that I think more so because it my change I didn't notice other people noticed, and I use that now with clients. I'll say to them, you you might not notice this stuff's automatic. It change you get this change, and it's quite often someone else will go hang on a minute, something different about you. You're eating differently. You're doing something different. Um, and so it's still there, that same thought really from that very first time, the very first thing that I discovered. Yeah, which let's take a moment and sidebar on that. I love that topic of looking for that automatic reaction, looking for that automatic response where, you know, I, I even say this to my clients that we're looking for that moment where we're dissolving away the novelty that things are different that this is just how things are playing out now. How, how do you go about addressing that in the change process, let's say with your clients? For me, I talk about the sort of, I, I do most of my work is probably future-paced work, really. Quite quite a lot of it is. I do do some other things in there. But, but I'll often say things along the lines of, as you see yourself, as you are yourself in that future time, this is quite normal, this is quite natural. But then, then I bring them back to where they're sitting and talk about that where you're sitting now, it's amazing, it's fantastic, it's all these wonderful things that you want it to be, all those goals that we've written down at the start of the process, as you're achieving them, they feel amazing. So it's sort of, I don't suppose it shows the contrast, so they're excited sitting there in the chair, but in, when they're seeing a year's time or six months' time, they're going, yeah, this is it, this is me, it's great, but it's just me now. Yeah, outstanding, outstanding. So then that experience of, you know, working in sales and then making that decision to then start to learn the hypnosis. What was that next step for you in terms of getting things up and running? 
I mean, I stayed in full-time employment, a day job as such, for quite a long time after that. I only finished doing that two and a half years ago um, to go full-time with the, with the hypnosis work, uh, mainly because I quite enjoyed the day job. I had an interesting day job that was nothing at all to do with hypnosis. It was, it was quite fascinating. I was involved in sales and development of black box recorders for, for vehicles, oh, mostly wow. emergency services vehicles. So it was quite great. It was good because I brought in the stuff I was learning on the hypnosis. I was bringing into the training I was doing with, with collision investigators and things. And I just, it was just fun. It was just interesting to do. So it took me a long time to, to finally make that decision. It was that yeah, borderlining on burnout now. It's time to do something. Something's got to go to make me uh, make me get into the change. But actually, it's still been quite useful because I, I work with, with business people now and I can use those experiences of sales, of sales management and things that I've done over the years. And I think, I can't remember who it was, somebody on, on your podcast a few, few weeks ago said, it's not just the hypnosis, it's not just the the stuff, it's also your own experience comes into that as well when, when you're dealing with people. Yeah, absolutely. So then making that decision to open up shop, uh, what were those steps you took in terms of, uh, you know, actually attracting those first clients? I was already doing it anyway, because I was already networking as much as I could, evening times and a little bit of weekends and things, social media and things. Uh, once I took it full time, I went completely mad. I spent far too much on an office. Um, <laughs> I spent far too much on a vehicle, leasing a vehicle. And I just went mad with doing the networking. For me, being out there in front of people is the best way to bring in business. It still is now, but it was back then as well. So that was my my whole thing. I, I networked within the building. I ran networking groups as soon as they found out what I did. I was in a serviced office. So as soon as they found out what, what I was doing and the, uh, how much networking I was doing, they asked me to run networking events in the office, which was great for me because that put me in front of all the other residents, all the other businesses that, that were there. And so it was just lots and lots of that. But then what was interesting was I migrated back to the mobile approach, to the visiting people at home approach from having, I enjoyed having the office, but I used it less and less. First six months yeah. I was in there all the time. It was always doing really well, but I was doing really well with it. And then I found myself naturally migrating back to the way I'd been working for the 10 years before where I'd been visiting people at home in an evening. I didn't want to, I, what I didn't want to have, and there's no no disrespect to people who have, but I didn't want to have that sort of spare bedroom converted into a therapy room. And I never wanted to do that, um, which is why I, when I first set out part-time, I set out deliberately to go out and visit people at home and so I migrated back into that quite, quite quickly, really, from having the office. I love that idea, though. Um, and <laughs> well, I love that idea, but also I just bought an office, so I don't love that idea. <laughs> but let's look at it from this way of, I'd, I'd be curious to ask, what have been the greatest strengths of you going to those people and actually doing the work in their locations? I suppose the greatest strengths are that they're more comfortable. So I, I sell it on the benefits of time-wise. It's, it's time value for them because they're not going to travel to me. I worked quite, it was quite interesting actually because I was working quite a lot with anxiety clients who were anxious about coming out anyway as well, so they didn't want to come out. Having said that, I switched into different different types, different types of anxiety clients when I, when I had the office, which is something different again. Um, yeah. People who said, oh, I wouldn't want you to come to the home because of this, this and this. And, and even now, there are still people who don't want me to visit them at home and I use, use treatment rooms and therapy rooms that I'll, I'll take by the hour in places on a semi-regular basis. So... But yeah, I mean, the, the advantage is for, for them, for the client, is more, generally more comfortable. Sometimes they, they might have to sort things out so there's not so much noise in the house. 
But I also learned quite early on that hypnosis isn't a isn't necessarily a fragile experience. I was working with somebody last week, and their their three year old was upstairs with with her husband, and the three year old was literally running round upstairs. And that only becomes a problem if I let it become a problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the statement I was listening for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what uh, what kind of steps are you taking to sort of build that? Let's say either expectation or even just the. I hate to use the word, but the bureaucracy necessary to pull that off, the sort of uh, the staging. In in what way? In that in that it's not a problem if there's noise. Yeah, I mean, either that or are there specific, because I mean, let's look at the example of there's many people who have been on here before talking about doing Skype sessions or mm. doing remote video sessions, whatever platform, you know, and for that, I typically say, make sure it's in a quiet space, uh, make sure you've got a good connection. Should there ever be a moment mm. where you find we get disconnected, you'll immediately realize it and easily reconnect. We'll pick up where we left off, you know, sort of more of the sort of, you know, let's call them the foundational steps to build that environment so by the time you show up things are ready to go in fairness i don't actually do a lot of preparation um from nice. that point of view yeah. I, I i deal with it as it comes because quite often they'll they'll i've been to see people and they've changed the subject matter of a session on the spot and i think that's where i, I quite thrive with that i quite enjoy that whether that comes from the sales thing i remember doing a sales presentation where at the end of it, this big group of 30 people suddenly said, well, have you got anything else to offer? And I presented something else. And then they asked for a presentation immediately. And I find that quite sort of thrilling, I suppose, whereas some people maybe would find that a bit scary. So I don't do a lot. They, I, I suppose, think about it, I don't do a great deal at all now. I, I go in and do, you know, the lady I've been working with the last few days, she and opens her eyes in the middle of a session. And it's almost the same as that. If there's noise, then I deal with it. If there's a clock that's ticking wildly in the room, then every time that clock ticks, it'll take you deeper. It's those sort of things. Every time her eyes fluttered, it took her, I would suggest that it would take her deeper. Every time the toddler runs around upstairs and drops something, <laughs> that just makes you comfortable and confident that he's being looked after and will allow you to relax deeper, that type of thing. Beautiful. Just Yeah, just naturally utilizing whatever's there, right? Yeah, I think it's really important to say it's not, it isn't a fragile. When I first learned from, from the books, I learned that, you know, the, my understanding of hypnotherapy was the client had to be laid down. I had to wear a, a <laughs> white coat and I couldn't wear any aftershave. Not that I shave very often nowadays, but uh, <laughs> it's more of a, just a, a quick attack of the stubble. But, but I couldn't have a window open in case a sudden noise would, would bring them out of, of trance and things. And, and I quite quickly learned that actually that's not really the case. Well, it's the case if you believe it. Um, right. And I believed mm -hmm. it back then. And then I learned some of it through John and some of it through, through other people, some of it through people who've contributed in your, your podcast as well. Then you know, I, I've learned that actually it's not, it's not a fragile experience. You know, I think of it as a, a, the, the, I did, working with a teenager who, who obviously didn't get enough sleep. And whenever she relaxed into hypnosis, she would fall asleep. So, okay, you're going to stand up then and, and be, yeah. be hypnotized standing <laughs> up. So you don't, you know, if you fall asleep, you're going to crash. Well, that's going to stop her from falling asleep. So changing it and doing it that way. You've just highlighted something, which I think a lot of people don't tend to realize is that we do want to have them actively engaged in the process mm -hmm. that there may be others that have different opinions than this, but I tend to be one that, and this just comes from actually having uh, sleep technicians as clients and going, so if someone falls asleep, they go, yeah, they're out. Now, yes, there's an early stage where they may just be kind of dozing off like the person way too late driving and kind of nodding off. But once they're out, they're out. So keeping them actively engaged. And you said the nuance there of just simply having them stand up. Yeah, absolutely. So, so again, it, it varies. I might, I might 
have them sat in not a very comfortable chair so a, a dining chair rather than a, a nice reclining chair if they're that sort of person that might fall asleep or I might just say to them you know, keep your active imagination going keep really focused on that thing rise up a few levels of relaxation you know I know mm-hmm. levels are an emotive subject but it makes sense to them whether I whether I think they're in levels or not if I say be less relaxed rise up a few levels then you can literally see their head coming up and you can see because you can see when they're starting to fall asleep they twitch and and things you can you can tell that they're going or i might just i i actually in a session will also get them to open their eyes and talk to me two three four times in the space of an hour um, maybe less as they as they've done more work with me and just say the you know on the count of three you're going to open your eyes you're going to stay relaxed you'll stay hypnotized and we'll have a quick chat as well. So that can also, if, if I feel that they're teetering on the edge of sleep, that's well, I a moment expand on that. What are, what are some of those questions? What are some of those interactions that you're doing in the session by doing that? It's it's a phenomena, really. So mm-hmm. I don't do a lot. It's quite interesting. I was, I was thinking about this um, before, before our, our conversation. When I first started out and started getting business before taking the office, I spent a lot of time at psychic fairs promoting what I did because I didn't know anything else. I didn't know any other way to do this. Um, and back then I was a big believer in trying to do things differently. And I would do a lot of hypnotic phenomena. So I would say, you can try 10 minutes, 10 minutes hypnosis. I'd do arm levitations or forgetting numbers or whatever, whatever you know, forgetting the name or a letter out of the name. So I'd do lots of little, little bits of phenomena. And actually, I do very little of that now. In, in class. I would never do it therapeutically, but I do, don't do much of it now either therapeutically because if I get them, if I've done my pre-talk correctly, when I get them to open their eyes and they sit there and go, wow, I can't move my arms. I feel as I'm stuck to the chair. Great, that's it. That's all I need. And I don't, I don't need to do any more. Certainly in my experience, I don't need to do any more than that. If they're unsure, then I might do some some other stuff, uh, you know, an arm levitation or something, just something to get them to again notice. I, I want them to know, it's really important to me that they know they're hypnotized. Uh, so many people I speak to say, oh, a friend of mine did, did hypnosis for stopping smoking. Didn't work though, they didn't think they were hypnotized. And I, I always, you know, I started to think really on, well, if they don't know, they could have been deeper hypnotized, but because they could hear the traffic outside or the dog barking in the garden, they think that they're not or their nose is itching, one of your, your phrases, that, <laughs> that if, they, if they believe they're not hypnotized, then why should that thing that they're doing work? Because, they, well, I, I heard everything. I, I wasn't hypnotized, so why should I stop smoking? Yeah, it felt nice, but why should I do that change? So, so that interaction for me is getting them to notice that hypnotized, it might be to bring them about, away from sleep a little bit. It might be a case of working with somebody with maybe, maybe pain, uh, as I've been working with this morning, it might be just to let her just move, to just adjust herself and be more comfortable in, in where she's sitting. If you know, I had a, a one client who couldn't sit still for very long, so we would would break the sessions every ten minutes. And again, it's that you know, when he first said to me, "Well, you won't be able to do any work with me because I can't sit still for more than ten minutes." Why not? We'll just stop every mm-hmm. ten minutes, and I'll wake you up as such, and you can stand up and have two minutes standing up, and then sit back down, and we'll carry on. Yeah. Well, again, just the simple deal with what emerges, that mm. however the way the process plays out, that's how it really ought to be. I, I have to share a quick story here, which this was, you know, working in my office, and this is like the first office I had, so this story goes back like not eight, nine years ago, and she comes in, it's the second appointment, I used to do stop smoking in a longer process, but it's the second appointment, she's coming in, 
oh, I've completely stopped, this is amazing, but a few things have been stressing me out and that's been making me think about cigarettes. Now, as I glance down at the bag she's carrying, I realize there's this tiny fluffy dog inside of it. And she goes, and you can't leave, really, you can't leave, you can't ask me to leave Rupert in the car, it's so hot outside, is it okay if he's here? Yeah, sure, whatever. And he has separation anxiety. He has to sit in my lap during the session. <sighs> to which I'm thinking, well, you know, she's already quit smoking. We're just kind of cleaning up a few emotional triggers. Yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. So the simple nature of a Dave Elman floppy arm drop as I reach over. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one part just goes, and as you hear Rupert, it just reminds you that he's safe and his safety helps you to feel even better. <laughs> nice. And I just then abandoned that technique altogether. You have these moments where you kind of have to work on the fly and, you know, it may not be that perfect environment that you've built, but mm. it's where the client coming in, they don't know the difference between the induction to the deepeners to the change work strategies and the anchoring for them. The whole thing is hypnosis. Yes. So it really becomes whatever you decide it is going to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I always say to people, it's a belief thing. It's both ways, but it's a belief thing. I've got to believe that I can do it, and you've got to believe that I can do it as a, as a client, and you've got to believe the way I'm doing it is right. And I always say to people, they can't fail as well. It's a big believer in whatever you do is right for you, and let me work around that. Let me let me make it make sure that it's right for you, but whatever you're doing is, is right. There's lots of rights in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, outstanding. So you mentioned the idea, though, I love going back to the whole I felt relaxed, but I don't know if I was hypnotized. <laughs> um, and pulling out the phenomenon, you said you'd go back in and do something. What would that something typically be if that if that was a concern? Yes. If, so, I mean, if they were concerned, my pre-talk is very much about awareness. So you're not going to lose awareness. You're not going to lose control. Right. So they don't they don't say to me, yeah, generally, I think probably for, for a couple of years, really, nobody said to me, or oh, I don't feel as I was hypnotized because I make sure that they feel that they're hypnotized and make sure that they know that everything's around them. It's more of the people. Um, so as I say, it's other people who are commenting on someone they know who's had hypnosis and they're saying, oh, you know, they don't think that they were hypnotized. But yeah, if I did have somebody who, who really didn't think that they were hypnotized I would do something with them I say it might just be a simple you know helium blooms attached to the wrist and picturing your arm rising and looking for that physical response I tend to start a little bit with magnetic hands anyway so I've already seen if there's a physical response to suggestion at that point and again most people do but not everybody does and that's something else that was interesting because again originally I, I was taught you know if their hands don't move then they're not going to be particularly good some of my best subjects their hands have sat exactly still and, and I remember one guy at the end said uh, that thing you did with my hands was amazing I couldn't believe they came together so fast and they hadn't moved so in his head they moved <laughs> and that's fine so I, I look there's the, there's the value in the phrase of whether you saw they moved or you felt the sensation as if they were moving <laughs> yeah absolutely and again it's that it isn't a script it isn't a mm -hmm. well the hand didn't move so that's it I've got to change what I'm doing I don't know he, he, you know I just I just close them down and let them let them fall away and he he was quite happy to believe whether he'd believed up to that point or whether it was me closing them after a couple of oh, it was a couple of minutes but after 30 seconds of no movement it again it's that it doesn't matter it's right it's, it's what's right for them which there's something else that beautiful to highlight which is that and I, I let me talk metaphorically for a moment. Uh, back when I had the hobby as a teenager of doing magic tricks, <laughs> there'd be a there'd be a category of a magical technique that we would call the magician fooler. That it was something that was so insanely specific of a technique 
that it would fool the magician. There was a problem with it, though, which is that it was not impressive at all to the regular person. Um, <laughs> it's like, I have no idea how you found that card, but wasn't that supposed to be entertaining in some way? So I, I bring that up because then there's a, there's a demo, there's videos of me doing this on YouTube of doing like a whole hypnotic depth scale demo where at the end of it, the one online with Brad, he can't see somebody in the room. And mm. every time I do that demo, I tell the class, I'm going to do this as a reference point. However, this is a thing that I only ever do in the classroom. I've never done this with a client. Yeah. Because it's just not necessary. Mm. It's overkill. And really, they're there for the personal change, not to prove whether or not they can achieve negative hallucination, which may not even be necessary as part of our change process. And still, as much as I give that disclaimer, someone goes, but what if I can't get someone to that level? And the answer is exactly what you just said. Here's somebody that's simple, eyes open, you know, hand magnets or even eyes closed. Something that we would do like in the first hour of an intro to hypnosis class gets enough of that oh wow reaction that yeah. they're completely satisfied as to how it's gone. Yeah, yeah. And, and it can even be, you know, the, the client this morning said to me, oh, my husband wants to know why I've paid up front. And I said, it shows your commitment. It, you know, it starts really early on in my mind, that commitment to change and then yeah, showing something, seeing something happen. It's, it's all part of that whole process. I've, I've, I've had a couple of clients, but one particular client who'd brought about the change before I even got to sit in front of them just from that commitment of starting things out. So you just never know. There's no, there's no to me, there's no line. The hypnosis starts here and it ends here. Um, mm -hmm. And whether or not you need phenomena and things, you, I think you could probably spend too much time with some form of phenomena in the process when you don't need it. And again, it's that being flexible, isn't it, with it? Right. Yeah. It's the recognize where they are in that yeah. experience. Uh, Scott Sandlin talks about the expectation to ritual ratio, that if the expectation is extremely high, you don't need a ton of ritual when if they're coming in cold, that's where you need a little bit more of that because they're still not quite sure exactly what's about to happen and how mm -hmm. it's supposed to play out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I always ask them, and I think it came from the training with John originally, how do you imagine it's going to feel to be hypnotized? Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and, then I, and then I ask them, how do you imagine I'm going to do it? How do you imagine I'm going to hypnotize you? And then you get the, oh, you're going to use the watch and, you know, or, or you're going to talk to me. And, and that, that, that overcomes a lot of the things in the pre-talk of, because they'll say, oh, I'm going to be unconscious. I'm going to be asleep. And no, you're not. If, if you go to sleep, I'm going to poke you with a big stick or I'm going to get you, <laughs> I can make you stand up or whatever. And, and it's a bit of... There's a bit of um, bit of banter in there. It's getting the rapport going. It's I suppose it's someone once said to me that that I'm I'm quite realistic. I suppose in my approach to it, and you know sometimes you meet people who who they're they're a bit too over the top with it. I suppose um, yeah. in what they're doing, um, and then it all becomes a bit spooky and a bit woo woo. Maybe I'm very very grounded. I suppose in what I do. Um, but I like that. The word you used before about it just being something natural, just something mm. real world about it, that it's kind of where I come about it too, that again, maybe from the magic world, there were people in the in, who were magicians who very much on stage embodied the idea that they were magical, they had magical powers, mm. when of all people to reference Penn and Teller, you know, Penn Jillette would say from the stage, we're just a couple of guys who learned how to do some pretty cool things. Yeah. And to look at hypnosis from that perspective, which by the way of doing that, a side effect actually occurs, which is that you kind of break this mindset. Yes, as I'd say in the in the business promotion stuff, 
the process isn't magic, though the results can be magical. <laughs> yes. And people, I found, respond to that little phrase, which is by no means original to me. It's kind of all over the place. But really what we're doing is we're putting hypnosis into that category of going, this is a tool, and the tool is only as good as how you put it actually into use. Yeah. So it breaks that whole, it didn't work mindset early on, because now instead it's something that you and I are using this process together. That's what's going to make it effective. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's definitely a, a partnership in what you're doing. These are common subjects, isn't it? This client, client-driven process, client-centered process. But it, it is, and it should be, that it's all down to those. If I've got to even stop smoking clients, they're not going to be the same because they're, they're going to have different end results. Their, their goals are going to be a little bit different. Yeah, there's going to be health, and of course, there's going to be some money involved, and they're going to save money from stopping smoking but dig a bit deeper than that and they'll be very unique and that's where they get really involved in it then and it becomes it's them it is it is them and it's their new way of thinking yeah are there specific questions you're asking in the process to start to unpack that main intention inside yeah i mean i i, I so i ask some questions through um what i tend to do is that my, my process is a lot of my work comes from referrals so it's people who've either spoken to somebody that's dealt with me or, or know me anyway but there are some cold uh, connections cold uh, introductions come through as well so i endeavor to arrange a 20 minute conversation a phone chat i call it a, a strategy call um, mm-hmm. which might be a bit over the top for some people but that's where it's yeah okay so you want to stop smoking but why well yeah. i want to save some money i want to feel better yeah but why and and dig down and dig down and dig down and it can be smoking is an interesting one because as we know it's got to be it's got to be that they want to change and not somebody else wants them to change it's got to be the important bit so I'm looking for that in anything really I'm looking for I don't want them saying oh the wife's telling me I've got to do this thing or the husband's telling me I've got to do this thing yeah but what about you what do you want to do so it's it, it filters those out as well but I want to end up with a list of really good reasons and sometimes they can be really really personal reasons it can be um, I'm trying to think of one. The uh, worked with a lady on, on weight release, and we dug down and dug down and dug down. And it turned out that her she wanted to go in the fairground ride with her five-year-old daughter. Five-year-old was too young to go in the fairground ride on her own. Had to have an adult sat with her. This lady oh, was too big to sit in the carriage next to her. Absolutely fantastic way of motivating that, that success and enjoying that success. But it took a little while to dig down that deep to go, ah, okay, I'll, that, that will have it all day long. And it can be, sometimes it can be a comment as well. I, I try to, you know, people talk about, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth and you should use them <laughs> in that ratio. And I, I, I work on, on that way really because they'll quite often say things either in that first conversation or, or when you sat with them doing the pre-talk before you get into it, even comments with other people in the household. Because quite often I'll have somebody sat in, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but they'll, as they talk to each other, as I'm getting my stuff sorted out, even little things that they can say there, ah, okay, yeah, that's, that's worth grabbing. And I'm really looking for the motivation why they want to, or feel that they want to, or believe that they want to make the change. And then I'm going to get them experiencing that and really enjoying that. Yeah, let's take a moment on that family dynamic. If there's others around, are, are there ways that you're engaging them or is there ways that you're uh, bringing them in? Not during a session itself. It, it tends to be, people tend to sit in, unless, it's, unless I'm working with children, because I do do some work with children, more, more so in these last few weeks, uh, because I've had some, some really good results that have come through the networking. So they're now you know, getting lots of calls about, oh, can you do this for my child and that, that for my child? So children, of course, they, the adults are sitting in. 
but I try to get the adults to be a little bit more quiet, really, in yeah. those situations because <laughs> I don't want too much interaction from them. Um, in in the when I'm first arriving, sometimes even just the bit of banter be- between the person, between the client, the new client, and the person who's going out to take the dog for a walk for an hour. Just that little bit of, of comment can sometimes be a bit of something that, okay, yeah, I can make use of that. And I, so mm-hmm. I'm always looking for that. But most of the time, during an actual session, most of the time, that other person will leave the room and let, leave them to. It depends. I always say, it's the first thing I say is, when I go into somebody's house, where's your comfortable spot? Everything is driven by their comfort. If they want somebody nice. sat in, if they want to invite the neighbours in, that's fine. If that's what makes them comfortable, if that's the way they're going to go into hypnosis to a better way. So it's, it's all, again, it's that client driven thing. Right. And I love that organic approach to it of, again, eliciting from them, you know, a lot of the content that we're going to need, eliciting from them, what's that comfort level, which I want to spend some time chatting with you here too, because the main reason I invited you on here uh, is that we've known each other for a little while online Mm. and watching you are really out there representing what you do in the community and really doing a great job of drawing people in and seeing that you do as much as things are referral based still very active out there in the networking world right yeah hugely um yeah yeah maybe maybe a little bit less this year because my networking has become more focused but certainly last year i would i would attend business networking events five times a week six times a week even yeah so walk me through your strategy of that what what is what is it that you're often getting up and talking about are there specific uh you know, sort of markets you're looking after. What's what's behind hmm. that? My business model is to try is to try is to attempt to focus on on four areas. So um, weight loss because I like it and I love the results that come with it. Business performance, sports performance, and then um, workplace well-being, which I'm doing more and more of now. Stress release and things like that. Uh, so when I'm networking, those are my focus. But every time I get asked about something else, which is why I say try, because I, I'm, I, I won't limit myself to just doing those four things. Sorry, John, if you're listening, I know you said 14 years ago, specialize, specialize, specialize. But um, <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I, I will look at anything from a, from a hypnosis point of view. But my, my strategy when I'm out there networking is twofold, really. Sometimes I'll go in and talk about something specific I've just done. Sometimes I'll be listening for people who are... Um, maybe complaining about something. Sometimes I, I listen to this podcast uh, by a guy, Jason, somebody who talks about, um, <laughs> sorry, he talks about, um, you know, trying to wait until the end of a networking, you know, the, the 60 second intro, and then you can see if anybody's been particularly nervous and you might talk about that as well. It's trying to tailor, you can't always tailor it because sometimes you're up first almost in these things. So I have a few different strategies sometimes there's a little bit of a script sometimes it'll be just off the cuff it depends on the meeting i do a weekly meeting so most of the people in that room see me every week so that'll be more of a story a success story this this week this has happened whereas if i go to a new group completely it might be just uh, oh this is me this is what i do these are the organizations i've worked with and and going for the high level stuff so i've done stuff with the British Medical Association with doctors and consultants. So that always stops people. They go, really? Or a big company that I work with, working with their staff. So I might go very generic as well if it's an unknown event to me. So again, it's flexibility. If I go with a script every time, people are either going to get bored with it or I'm going to get bored with my delivery Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the benefit of, I put it in the category of like the comedian doing crowd work, that you really do earn that right, that you can get up and talk about those things that you're the most interested in. Mm. And I, I tend to be one, if you've heard me talk about the, the hub and spoke model. 
that here's that old time wagon wheel and in the center of that, there's the hub of your business. There's the way that most people are finding you. And in your case, in that scenario, it's going to be that network marketing. Mm -hmm. But it's where you then have those spokes of the wheel going out to the outer frame. And this is what allows us to, yes, be that generalist, but do so in an extremely specific way. Yeah. So to get up and talk about, you know, this week it may be the business performance because you're realizing, hey, that's the audience I've got in front of me. Let me focus on that. Here's the meeting where for some reason there were a bunch of dentists as guests. Not <laughs> yeah. that we were trying to elicit dentists to join our BNI chapter back in the day. But of course, that's the day I got up and talked about people who grind their teeth. Yeah. You know, so that ability that we can broadcast that specific message the way that um, for those that receive emails from me, uh, yes, I do send frequently, but they're not going at it from here's a list of the dozen things that are going on right now. Mm. It's always laser focused around one specific message. A at your meetings, is it the opportunity to get up and do like that one minute uh, sort of sales pitch type setup? Yeah, most of them are. So um, my regular one's 45 seconds now because the group's growing. So there's yeah. limited time. But yeah, I go to quite a few the where it's one minute. I go to somewhere it's 30 seconds, which is nice. uh, quite limiting. But you've got to. But then you've got to focus. You've got to you know, really think about what you've got to say. And I, I do wherever I can uh, demonstrations as well. So this week at my regular group, it's my 10 minutes. Uh, now my 10 minutes is usually what I term as a 10 minute zap. So it sit down, feet flat on the floor. If you want to join in with this, close your eyes. And, mm -hmm. and I take them on a really quick journey uh, for nine minutes or so just before uh, before we finish. And I'll, I'll do as much of that as I can, or I might offer, go to a group and like say, there might be something specific that they want to talk about or a themed group. I think I did a, a networking group uh, where it's a lot of legal people. So I, I actually made a recording and said, you can have this for free. You can try nice. this self-hypnosis thing and it's something relevant to what they're doing. So it's as much, again, it's that experience. That it might be different in other countries, but certainly here there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of confusion about what hypnosis is. And you always get the, or oh, are you going to make me look like a chicken? If you really want to, yes. Why, I mean, that, <laughs> but why would you want to? But you get that all the time. So for me, it's that as much as I can, do something. Get somebody to, to get them to experience something. And I actually asked at last week's meeting, I said, do you want me to talk about me and my history and how I got it? Or do you want one of my quick 10-minute um, focus sessions and they went oh no, no focus session focus session nice. <laughs> yeah because because it's something for them to take away and they talk about it for the next few days and so i do see an increase in referrals when i get the mm -hmm. opportunity to do that as well show is always better than tell give yeah. them the experience rather than talk about what the experience i'd be curious to ask because you talked about sort of the standard uh issues that people would come to see a hypnotist for hey we've got time could you give us an example of one of those sales pitches and how would you usually present that message out there mm, okay it would it might be a testimonial certainly more recently it's been a testimonial so it'll be something i'll read a really quick client testimonial. so so the, as i mentioned i'm doing more work with children in these last few weeks because uh, one of the, the networking members um, asked me whether I could help his child had, well, his, his testimonial says, this guy is a magician, talking about magicians. <laughs> and, and so yeah, I'll take that all day long and I'll use that and I'll stand up and say, you know, just recently I've been doing a lot of work with children over anxiety, school transition, and here is what somebody else says. And it might be as simple as that because that's nice. enough. Don't need to, to say any more than that. Or it might be, um, yeah, something more specific that, that's gone on. It might be in some regular meetings, um, you know, this week I might talk about 
Well, this week I've been, been recording for a podcast for where well reputational hypnotists, that's a terrible way of phrasing it, have, have been <laughs> interviewed on it. But it's, it's all about credibility and it's all about why should people deal with me? Um, or I might talk about some work I've been doing with a cancer charity where I've been supporting people with pain relief, with sleeping and things like that. Again, so those might be the specifics. And again, testimonials, wherever I can, I get a testimonial because that's, that to me anyway is the best thing to stand up and read out. Yeah. So many people in BNI, and even they would say that it's all about, you know, giver's gain, mm. the, the mindset that uh, those who give the most referrals also receive them back as a bit of uh, reciprocity. There'd also be the mindset within BNI that, and for those that aren't familiar with this, BNI Business Networking International, it's a very popular, as you can see, worldwide networking community, which the premise is that the rules were invented by the members. So what I'm about to say may sound a little more strenuous than what someone would want to be willing to jump into. Yet again, you're very clearly a proponent of it. I was when I was actively building that segment of what I was doing. Became, and I love their catchphrase that BNI is a match for every business, but not a match for every individual. Mm that it comes down to the person and what they're willing to put into it. It's the same I'd say to someone who reaches out to me about, you know, whether it's someone else's course or even my programs online to say that, well, it's like anything else. You're going to get out of it as much as you put into it. And the, the other side effect with BNI would be that because it is a group with rules, you're meant to be there every single week. Now, there's exceptions that are allowed basically once a month, you're allowed to at least either be absent or send a uh, substitute in your place. And based on their numbers, uh, it works out to be about once a month, you're okay to miss it in some form, which again, you're training that sales staff, you're training those people in the room to become your own best sales advocates. Yeah. And the more that they interact with you, the more you are building that, as they'd say, visibility and credibility, which then lead to that profitability. So with the nature that many of your people are coming in by referrals, what's that passion? What's that mission? What's that reason that you're still there? Because it works. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I, again, it's that. But but I, I do see, not, not so much within BNI. BNI is that, that big commitment. It's commitment time-wise. It's a big financial commitment, really, for, for a lot of people. You know, I can understand that. But even some of the smaller networking groups, I do see people come. I, I get other hypnotherapists introduced to me from there who I help to do some work with quite often people say oh yeah I know a friend of mine's trying to do hypnotherapy and they're not doing very well and they'll get an introduction and I'll, I'll pick up with them and help them and mentor them whether it be proper training whether it be just a bit of well you know, try this do this that sort mm -hmm. of approach just to try and guide them really big believer in the fact that there's lots of potential clients out there so oh yeah yeah there's there's room for everybody doing this but yeah, so you see people, as I was saying, so you do see people come and go. I, I, I'll go to some networking, say not BNI type networking, where there'll be other people there doing, doing what I do, other people doing, doing hypnotherapy, hypnosis, but they don't stay long. And I think that's the thing. It's, you've got to view it as a long term. Um, why? What made me stick at it? I don't quite know. I, actually, no, I do know. I like... <laughs> this sounds terrible. I like going into a room where a lot of people are going, oh, what is it you do then? And they're expecting me to be, you know, not necessarily an accountant, but something. Mm -hmm. nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with accountants. <laughs> Apologies to the accountants. Nothing wrong with accountants. But and I go, oh, I'm a hypnotist. And I just sort of almost, it's terrible, I almost deliver it in a little bit of a casual way. 
and they, everything just stops and they just go right, really yeah. and and i you know i love that i love that maybe i like being a bit of an attention seeker i don't know maybe i need to see some ther- get some therapy for that but it's but, only so, diagnosable if it doesn't work for you yeah no, and it, and it if it helps you then just keep it and yeah. just <laughs> no, absolutely I, I and also i network outside of networking so i network at the supermarket i give out business cards i wear a lanyard that says hypnotist on it mm-hmm. um, i used to have a jacket that said hypnotist and the website on the back like a, a, a sort of a, a coat sort of a, a outdoor type jacket i don't do that now I, I i thought that was probably going a bit too far but i'd be in the queue to pay for petrol and someone would tap me on the shoulder and say you're really hypnotist can you do anything for this can you help somebody with this can you help my child with this and so it's a way of helping as many people as you can yes it's great for business of course it is but it's also making it accessible to people because it isn't how many people i meet and i'm sure it was the same with you and you were networking jason that it was i've always wanted to deal with this thing i've had this thing for years and i've often thought about hypnotherapy but i've never known where to go to i google it and i get hundreds of hits who do i use who do i choose and so by meeting somebody in a networking environment or supermarket or wherever that can be just the turning point for them where they can actually get some help with that thing that they're looking for or that person that they care about the same way. Yeah, yeah, which, again, the opportunity that many people have had that same experience to bring it full circle back to where we started. They had that experience of seeing it, the idea, you know, getting that service as a means of personal uh, help uh, entered into the mind, and it's where how does something get anchored let's let's bring about it from a hypnotic perspective it either gets anchored it either gets conditioned by way of repetition or intensity so there are many times where you know not everybody is at that place of absolute threshold of the problem they still recognize that here's something they want to change in their life there's still something they want to address and you know it may not necessarily be that intensity of i just hit my absolute worst of this problem it may just be, oh, wait, here's actually a rather reasonable person who, let's call it out, isn't creepy, uh, seems to be professional, and people here like him. Yeah, let me work on this thing now. Yes. And that becomes that perfect entry point for them. Yeah, because then you're not always that last resort. Like you say, they've not always hit the very bottom. They, I still get a lot of clients like that. They'll make an inquiry, and six months later, they come back and they go, oh, I really need to deal with that thing now because this has just happened and that's just happened. And inside, I'm thinking, if only you'd have done this six months ago, that w- you wouldn't have got to that point. Um, but of course, you, you can't say that. You've got to get in and, and deal with it when it arises. But you're right. It's, I suppose it's almost like an early intervention for some people because they meet me and can start to deal with stuff or meet whoever they're meeting at networking, uh, whether it be me or another hypnotist. But, uh, but yeah, early intervention in what they do need to deal with. Right. I'm realizing there's a uh, statement I make in my business trainings that I'm now realizing, I think I've never actually said this in the podcast, which is now disturbing me, uh, because it gets great reaction. So why not spread it everywhere? Now, of course, the networking environment is going to be an exception to this. But most people are discovering you when they're not in a position where they can make a buying decision, Hmm. which is a polite way of saying they're looking at their phones when they're on the toilet. So to look at when, you know, again, that place of this is where from the networking meeting, you gave that great example earlier that you recorded an audio and then you made that available to those people, which I'm sure then led into some sort of appropriate ongoing communication by way of email. Yeah, absolutely. So I will, depending on what the event is. So if I've been asked to that particular one, I was asked to speak at that event as well. So it was a bit more of an opportunity. I will pass around an iPad sign up so they're signing up it's all gdpr compliant and say if, you, if you'd like to receive this if you'd like to learn more about it 
receive this particular download that's unique to what I tend to do rightly or wrongly actually I tend to to not make the download until I've done the presentation because that way I know it's going to be unique to that presentation as well nice yes I'll try and make it general enough to be able to market it later but it'll be designed around what people say to me the things that they're talking about the issues if it's legal you know what what are their stressors where where do they need some help and yeah pass around an iPad to get people to sign up. I did one recently where I was expecting a big audience and it wasn't quite as big as I was expecting. And I used um, text, text messaging. So on the screen behind me, I had, you know, text this number to receive your free download. And then they would be linked to um, a landing page where they'd need to put in their name and an email address to then receive the link for the for the download. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much into the keeping those people in the loop because they, they will just disappear and they might come back a few years down the line when they've got to their absolute worst but this way i'm keeping that communication going yeah of course they can leave the mailing list and people do leave the mailing lists of course they do but it's capturing their attention it's giving them so i i really believe in giving them something as well so they, they've got something to take away or a few days later to take away right yeah give them the experience mm. and have them actually interact with it in that format now we've actually got something that can continue that conversation yeah, and even better, you know, the, the same message is this is the whole mission behind all the business stuff I've done the last year, which is that if we look at the actual hypnotic phenomenon, it's about getting the result in motion even before we call attention to it. You're already seeing their hands draw together. You're mm. already noticing they're reacting as if the hand is stuck to the chair to not go for that moment of try to lift it sticks even tighter until we already see that we've got the action in motion. The same as to not ever ask for the sale until we know that person already is sold on the idea. But again, to have them begin that sales process, to begin that even the first session from a change perspective, already with some sort of small noticeable win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and, and I think as well, from the experience point of view, might not be, I, I, I do some experiential type downloads some self-hypnosis things so they might be uh, what have we got on there snorkeling um <laughs> going on a, a snorkeling experience so is it therapeutic i don't know steve i think there's too many hypnotists that are targeting the snorkeling community think i think so? you're going you're going too saturated <laughs> on that one there's a pun in there somewhere but i don't want to call it out no no maybe not no, <laughs> no. Um, so we or, or we can talk about the hot air balloon ride which is okay so long as you you don't need you don't have a problem with heights but then if you do then we need to have a conversation anyway mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily therapeutic but it is therapeutic because it's 20 minutes of just going into an experience and doing something. Recently, I worked with a, a, a guy who'd had to give up cycling when he when he came for those sessions because he, he actually came to me for his sessions. Um, his arm was in a sling and things. And he'd, he'd been knocked off his bike. So his wife had said, you're not riding on the roads anymore. Then he decided to ride on canal towpaths and he'd gone into a hole in the towpath and come off again and mm. done, his, done various injuries. So for him, you know, his, he was giving up cycling. He said, I've got to stop. You know, we, we, that wasn't why he was there. He was there to do some other health-related things. But as part of what we were doing, my feeling was actually his well-being would be better served by maybe having an escape so i made him a recording that takes him on a cycle ride and he can go on a different ride every time he does it and nice. i asked him that question i said you know is it going to rub it in is it going to rub rub salt in as we would say if you were to you know sit and think about riding a riding your bike and he went oh no no it'd be fine so i said okay i'll make you something a little bit something that will it'll serve your well-being 
that you can then just listen to it 15 20 minutes uh, a big believer in keeping the download short because people otherwise they won't they won't take time to, to listen to them um so 15 20 minutes of into a state of hypnosis whatever that is and then be yourself going on a cycle ride and I'll, i don't know too much about cycle running but i'll add little bits in to try and help them the snorkeling one has got sounds of bubbles and things in the background which few people come into and thought they, were, they weren't sure whether they were imagining them or whether they were <laughs> which is fine i don't mind either way but yeah yeah, I love that, especially, you know, using the audio to continue the process, to strengthen the result rather than continuously remind them of the issue, which, you know, I, I'm someone that, you know, all these methods are good. It's only a matter of how we actually put them into use. That's that's what matters of the work. And so I've got no, you know, personal thing against the one who records, let's say, the weight loss session and then sends them home with it. But as soon as they let the problem go, now the audio may be reminding them of the problem they don't have anymore which I'm not this yes. purist that then goes, oh, that means they're going to bring it back. But I love, you know, here's this thing he was working on and to let the audio continue to strengthen, let's phrase it this way, the enjoyment of riding that bike yeah. rather yeah, than continuously remind yeah. of that fear you used to have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and he was working on some other stuff anyway. But yeah, it's that, yeah, it is. I agree. I, used, I did go through a phase of, of recording sessions and then I changed it and would record a specific section of it which i found that was better so i would i would do some do some work do some work do some work eyes open okay now i'm going to record this bit and i would get them back in and do something that so i was more thinking of the recording than the face-to-face -face client at that moment didn't i didn't stick with it it didn't it wasn't that he wasn't working it just didn't feel right or i don't know there was something about it that i didn't i didn't enjoy it i rarely do therapy sessions or, or add to therapies with recordings uh, I've got a chap I'm seeing shortly where there's going to be a big gap because of the way he works. So normally I do three sessions around about a week apart, varies a little bit with people. He can't do a session for nearly a month. So I've said, okay, we'll do one session and then I'll make you a recording after that one session that you can then listen to during those three weeks, four weeks before I see you again, just to keep him going on things. So I do sometimes do, but not often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this has been great. I love it because it highlights that you're out there, you're doing the work, spreading the good awareness about what it is that we do and clearly driving a lot of people in to get some outstanding benefits. Uh, Steve, where can okay. people find you online? Well, you can Google Steve Woods Hypnotist, but uh, my website is um, executivehypnotist.com. The executive bit's a long story, but uh, yeah, executivehypnotist.com will find my, uh, my website, which is constantly in, uh, in motion, my website. <laughs> I'm one of these people who insists on doing it myself because I actually really enjoy that, you know, typing something in and then it being out there in the world. But I have reached a point where I, I should really get somebody to do it. So. The phrase is, know enough to be dangerous, but hand off the important stuff to someone else. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, that's actually a great point. I'm, we're, we're about to relaunch the Virginia Hypnosis website just because the, you know, the, the format of it is clearly working, yet it's a design that's kind of good for what was out there five years ago. So mm -hmm. you're just making a bit of an update to kind of stay with the times. And uh, one of my requests was, it's like, I want you to use some sort of integrative web builder. So when it comes time for me to suddenly get this wild idea to go, people keep asking me this one question. Let mm. me create a new video and just stick it on the website. Yeah. At least I can go in and, you know, do that little bit myself or, you know, the ongoing testing of different headlines and different, you know, search terms. 
you know, enough to go at least so I can go in there and fix a few things, but then hand the rest off to someone else. Before we wrap it up here, any final words to share for those, let's say, that are uh, either launching their careers as hypnotists or perhaps looking to scale up their careers as hypnotists? Any final advice to share with them? I think um, I made a few notes, actually, before we spoke to think about advice, because I thought we'll get to this point at some point. And, and I think we've sort of covered a lot of its intention and belief. And, and it's really having that, that belief in yourself as a hypnotist, hypnotherapist, whatever you decide to call yourself. And then check in your work, but also check in that you've got some, some hypnosis. Don't be afraid to ask the question, um, even if it means getting people to talk while they're hypnotized. Don't be afraid to, to ask, is it working? Is this happening for you? Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for sharing this on your social media streams, leaving your reviews online, and again, head over to hypnoticbusinesssystems.com to check out the all-access pass to not have to reinvent the wheel, to start with what's working now as well as what's working the past to grow out your own hypnotic business success. Check that out, hypnoticbusinesssystems.com. See you on the inside. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com.